Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And we are so excited to welcome to Democracy-ish for the very first time, Professor Anthea Butler, who is the Geraldine R. Siegel Professor in American Social Thought and Chair of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania and author of the book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. She is a big deal. Oh, wow. Thank deal. you all. I, I'm not sure I'm a big deal, but, you know, the book is a big to be deal. A chair, to be a chair of you a know, department? You know, the chair of, of, yeah, of yeah. just a tiny university. Yeah, yeah. Called no, UPenn? No. This <laughs> up and coming university? Yeah that, yeah, that, that, the university that turned out Elon Musk and Donald Trump. But you know what? It has <laughs> you now. Huh? They do it have has you. It has you now. You know, they have uh, me. You know, pre- Professor Butler, thanks so much for joining us. And, you know, you were supposed to be with us um, earlier, but thankfully you got the booster shot, which uh, everyone, if you're listening, please get the booster shot. This booster shot apparently protects you from the latest uh, variant. Uh, It protects you from the breakthroughs. Please get it. There's still a pandemic, despite what other people say. And I hope you don't mind me sharing, Professor Butler, but like me, whenever you get a shot, you get knocked the F out. Yes, I do. And I was knocked the F out. We were supposed to tape and I was sleeping through it like Rip Van Winkle and just you know, woke up like, wow, it's still light outside. I probably didn't sleep that long. Three hours. <laughs> and I really, well, like me and Danny are like, I think she's just really busy and forgot us or like or maybe she's sick. But she's like, nope, I've been sleeping. But I'm, I'm glad sleeping. you did because yeah. the, the timing is beautiful in a way because you're in this fantastic book. You know, you're you're talking, you know, white evangelical. Christians, you know, people of color in this country, I always joke that we have a PhD in white people because we've been yes. forced to study them. But you actually have the bona fides. You have yep. the, the PhD. You have the degree. You have the books. And we have a phenomenon right now in America. And this phenomenon is Herschel Walker. And explain to us the recent news where Herschel Walker uh, yet again lied, yet again fathered another child, not, not just fathered another child from another woman paid for the abortion of his girlfriend. We literally have the receipts. Literally. And all the data shows, 
and all the reporting shows that the white evangelical Christians and MAGA are like, eh, nobody's perfect. Explain exactly. to us Herschel Walker and his relationship with white evangelicals. Well, first of all, one thing you got to understand about white evangelicals, I don't cover this in the book, but I think this is really important. They love sports. And Herschel Walker was a great football player. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. So first of all, he's the perfect person to be running in Georgia, right? Second, he can do no wrong. I mean, as Dana Loesch said, oh, he just paid for some skank Mm. to have an abortion. I mean, and that's really what the evangelicals are thinking, except they won't say it like Dana Loesch said it out loud, okay? So here Here's the thing. The way that evangelicals think about this now is that your sins can be forgiven if you're on our side. If you're not on our side, then you are a reprehensible person who does not get to get forgiveness. Okay, so Herschel Mm. Walker can get forgiveness. Donald Trump can get forgiveness. But you and I, if we did anything that breaks their code of morality, would not get forgiveness. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, they could care less that Senator Raphael Warnock has a PhD from Union Seminary and is the reverend of Ebenezer Baptist <laughs> Church. They are dead set on calling him not Christian, and they are looking for any excuse to make him look bad so that they can pump up Herschel Walker. Third thing, Herschel Walker right now, I, I'm not sure about this man. I mean, he has said some really ridiculous things. I am a football lover, but I'm starting to think that, you know, I, I know that CTE mm-hmm. is real, but I'm just wondering what is going on with him. I have to be honest and say that out loud, because I think that his mannerism is to say whatever he does to please white people. And in this particular case, he is dead set on pleasing his white handlers who have brought him into this race and made him think that he could win. So this is why on Tuesday, um, after this story broke in the Daily Beast, they were laying hands on him at First Baptist Church and calling Mm. out the devil and hoping that the devil would not, you know, get him out of the race to protect him from all of these snares, basically. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they have 100 receipts. It wouldn't matter if they saw that woman walk into the abortion clinic with him. They would still be behind him 100 percent. Danielle, if you know, I may I, real quick, just mention okay, one ahead. point that when mm-hmm. it comes to the CTE, right, uh, and we don't know, but even Newt Gingrich came out and said, you know, I think he got hit on the head a bunch of times, but it's OK. So it's like, wait a second. Yeah. If you're acknowledging that this person not mentally fit, why are you still backing him for Senate? And they still don't care. And I'm so happy you meant, mentioned the Dana Loesch quote because she straight up said, I couldn't care less. I want control of the Senate. Well, you know, she said, I don't care what he what he aborted. She said, I don't care what he aborted. Mm. Like, I don't I don't I don't care what he aborts. I want the Senate. Yeah, she wants it done. I think she said baby eagles or something like that was something crazy. But here's the thing. I mean, both Dana Loesch and Newt are on to something. And basically what it is, is that he's going to be their puppet. They want him dumb. Mm. This is exactly what it is. And one of the things I haven't talked about this, but I think this is the right show to talk about it. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is how they show Herschel Walker all the time. They've always got a white woman standing with her hand on him, right? You know, as though he's like, look, he's really docile. He's not going to do anything, right? It's it's an image. It is an Mm. image that is conjured up for people so that when these white people in Georgia see this, they're like, oh, okay, he's not good. He's not bad at all. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene next to him. Look at all these people standing next to him. He's he, he's one of, he, that we can control him. That is the whole point of those pictures. Let me tell Ooh. you something. Yes. So there, my feelings about Herschel Walker and about the Republicans' representation of him 
to me is what they believe and want black men to be. Mm -hmm. And if you are not docile, if you are not submissive, if you are not stupid, Mm -hmm. right? Um, then you are a danger and a problem. That and so exactly to put up, so it, it, it has been really interesting because I've, I've listened to both Charles Blow and, uh, and Professor Brittany Cooper on, you know, who Cooper went on Twitter and I mean, the, 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 brilliant academic read that she provided on the layers of racism that are at play here, I think are extraordinary. And and the question that I have for you, it, Professor Butler, is this, you know, we, I, white America doesn't have a lot of nuance when it comes to black folks None. and their understanding of black people. Like Wash said at the top of the show, like, We as white people, and James Baldwin said this as well, we have been forced to have to look at and assimilate to and understand white culture in order to protect ourselves, Mm. right? In order to protect, but they have never had to look at us. And so when they look at us, it's the image of Herschel Walker that they want to see. And when they don't see that compliance, when they don't see that malleability, right? We become a danger and a problem. And so I want you to speak to, you know, the understanding that these people are not God-fearing people. These people are, whenever I hear white evangelical Christians, all I hear is racist. Mm -hmm. And I know that I, uh, like that, that is what I hear. And so I want you to uh, like to unpack the difference between just regular white racists and white evangelical Christians that have taken over the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting. The difference is, you know, white racists just admit to be a white racist, and it's easy, right? I, I mean, the racist you know is is different than the racist that tries to fake it, and white evangelicals are the ones that are trying to fake it. And what they do, and mm. why, why I explain this in my book, is they have done this throughout history. They like to tell a story about themselves. They believe that they were abolitionists and they went to go do missions work and they helped fight communism. And, you know, maybe they weren't on the right side of civil rights, but okay, they came around. And so now we have black people who can sing in front of our, you know, revivals like Billy Graham had. Right. And we, we want them to have better schools and and we want them to not have abortion. So that's the story they tell about themselves. Right. Here's the reality. The reality is they were slaveholders. They broke. They mm. divided churches because of slavery, because they wanted to hold slaves. They were on the wrong side of the Confederacy. They were the ones that were hanging black folks and lynching people in Reconstruction and Redemption. OK, they are the ones who in the civil rights movement went to create, you know, Christian schools so that they didn't have to be around black people and they didn't have to do Brown versus board. Okay. So they're the ones who were rejoicing when Martin Luther King died. They are the ones who decided that we needed to get on this, but they also fought the IRS because they didn't want to integrate schools like Bob Jones, right? They are the ones who did all sorts of things, you know, including George's, George Bush's, you know, compassionate conservatism so that they'd mm. be able to get the right kind of black people, the right kind of money so that the rest of these Negroes would shut up. And that's exactly mm. what it was. And then when Barack Obama became president, they lost their natural minds. Because what you can't have is a black man being president. And that's why we begin to see this downward spiral and the racism becoming so rampant 
that you see them glomming on to Donald Trump. While they had a whole slate back in 2015 of evangelical candidates like Ted Cruz and others that they could have got behind, but they got behind the thrice married, you know, pea grabbing man. Mm-hmm. And they loved him who, who because promoted he the was birther conspiracy. Yes, exactly. Who promoted who was, the birther conspiracy? Yeah, exactly. But you know, how did he promote the birther conspiracy alongside what evangelical? Franklin Graham. Mm. Okay, you know, never mm-hmm. forget Franklin Graham is in the middle of all of this stuff. And the son of Billy Graham, uh, exactly. the, the, the ideal, idyllic, romanticized white male evangelical who unites America. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't in America. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, you know. America. I got you know I I want to go into this a little bit because the 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 use and abuse of people of color by a racist Republican party to yeah. promote their agenda but also to shield their racism is so disgusting that it makes me want to vomit right yep. and 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 it's not just black folks you know I'm south asian anyone who's been colonized or has yeah. been subjected to white supremacy you know in your communities that there are folks who want to be white or think they're white or mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. cape for whiteness and you're seeing Herschel Walker do it. You're seeing Winsome Sears in Virginia. You're seeing Candace Owens. And I want to recite a quote because I just think this is such an exquisite quote. This is what Ginny Thomas, married to Clarence Thomas, this is what one of Ginny Thomas's aunts said in 1991. She told the Washington Post that Clarence Thomas was, quote, so nice, we forgot he was black. He treated her so well. All of his other qualities made up for his being black, end quote. So you take that, and and I ask you, because you've done research into this, black men in particular, who allow themselves to be used as this Manchurian candidate, mm-hmm. what's their mindset? Do they truly believe that they're independent? Are they just doing an okey-doke? We're like, it's okay, I'm going to get paid. It, 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 do they just fall for the Ginny Thomas vagina, which is so spectacular that it makes them like forget their blackness? <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I literally just threw up in my mouth. Further. I, what I, in I, the I world? I, I might be able. I might have to quit this interview because I just I, my eyes just went to crosses right now. I, I don't want to think about that. What's a hot Holly? That was that was a great <laughs> for me. So we gonna go back to the other two because, like, I do not even. I mean, no, no, no. Radical times require radical analogies and images, I, I ladies and gentlemen. Is, that's a radical analysis. That's a bridge too much for me because I'm just like, no. Walk it back, I, Professor Butler. I mean, you can talk, walk I mean, back. I'm, to I'm the other walking side. back. I, I'm walking back. Here's here's what I'm gonna say. It's not the okie doke. I don't even think it's the last thing. Although you know, some people. I, I can't count for taste. That's all I'm going to say. But here's the thing. I think that these black men who are like, you know, Clarence Thomas or anybody else are thinking about how can I be part of power? And whiteness mm. is power. And I think that's what we miss here is that there's a sense in which for for um, Herschel Walker, Clarence Thomas, you know, all these people, uh, Candace, she's married to a rich, you know, white man from England. I mean, you can't get no whiter than that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A rich British guy. I mean, that's like the epitome of whiteness, right? She didn't even go for an American dude. She went for a British dude. And, and, Redheaded you know, too. That's the whitest know, of the white. Right? I, mean, like, I mean, like, them, that's the white jeans and you know we're going to be every piece of black gene out of that baby that they had. So anyway, here's the thing. 
what you have to realize is that people do this because they want to be accepted. They want to have power. They want mm-hmm. access to it. Mm-hmm. They are not mm-hmm. comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. They do not identify, mm-hmm. you know, and you can hear this from a lot of people. They don't identify with, um, you know, struggle or the struggles of other African-Americans or Latinos or Asian-Americans or South Asians or anybody any group that we could come up with right now, they don't want to identify with those groups. They want to identify with the group that's in power. And what America really does very well is show you white men in power. And so Clarence mm-hmm. has risen to this, this point, which he was able to, you know, get into the Supreme Court, despite, you know, Anita Hill telling the truth about him. And he had support right. from people back then. And he got in, including, let's not forget, Joe Biden. Okay, yeah, I, right. I think yep. this is it's worth saying to remember this. And so now what we have are people who are making clear choices about this. So when you see somebody like Kanye come up and, and put come White on. Lives Matter on a, bat, on a, on a T-shirt, you know, it, he's uh, not even subtle about it. He's just basically saying yes to me that this is what matters in life. And that's it. You know, I, I don't even know that he's worth commenting on, quite frankly, because it's just the you know extension of everything else that's out here in the ether with people like Herschel Walker. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Is there a way... Professor Butler, because I, I I refuse to waste time on 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 Kanye West. I I gave up wasting time on Kanye West yeah. when he told the world that uh, slavery was a choice. Exactly. Um. And I and I wish the ancestors would have come down and handled him in the I way that they should. I still think they, they are going to. Don't uh, no, don't. Sometimes you know, they I, wait a while till they get you. Sometimes they wait. You're right. Um. But <laughs> let but let me but let me say this that what I find really troubling though is we know these things to be true mm-hmm. we don't fall for the rope dope but the masses do because yeah. the messaging and the delivery that white evangelical christians have and the republican party has resonates 
in your opinion, because these these for me, it's like it's not that nuanced. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm a student of history uh, and and somebody that is interested in how religion has been used as a ploy to control the masses. Right. Like that is something for me that I am interested in. Mm -hmm. But for regular Americans. How do how is it is it even possible to break through this kind of concrete thinking. And I say concrete because it doesn't matter who Reverend Warnock is. It doesn't matter who Barack Obama was. They are picking from the bottom of the trash bin and saying, you are anointed because we want power. Is there any way for us to be able to break through to regular people, maybe not to them, but to regular folks and say, you see what they're doing here? Mm. You see what they're doing here? I think the problem is two things. One is low information where people don't listen to news. They're not listening to your podcast. You know, they're not, you know, there, there are some of us who are really in these streams and try to pay attention to what's going on around us. That's number one. Most people get their news, unfortunately, from Facebook or Instagram. Okay. They're reading these kind of pop culture things where things get said in a soundbite and they're not explicated. They're not put out in ways that people can understand or want to spend time with. So the thing that you're up against here essentially is on, on the left, you have Democrats and others who don't know how to do messaging. I mean, you know, Democrat messaging sucks. All right. Let's just be real. Okay. It really does suck. But on the right, what they have is echo chambers and layers and layers and layers of media that amplify each other. It goes from the blog to the to, to Twitter, to the things they have in colleges and universities, to their masses, to and it goes up the food chain to Fox. And so their mm. messaging is always on point. They say it's snappy, it's on time. And evangelicals are part of this because they fuse their religious ecosystem in with this right-wing media system. And so those two things work together very well. You have that kind of messaging on the left. It doesn't work that way on the left. And so we're always left with trying to catch up to what is happening Mm -hmm. on the right because basically they already have their messaging. They got their marching orders. They have been out there and the message is on point all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. Professor Butler, you and Daniel are talking about the fact that people aren't aware of of what we're facing, right? The threat that Mm -hmm. we're facing. And we've talked about on the show before the threat of Christian nationalism, fascism, Mm -hmm. right? The end game for these people. Dana Loesch said it, you know, don't take our word for it. Me and Daniel have the curse, like most people of color, of being right. And we're like the brown and black Cassandra instead of being rewarded. I always joke, we're like, if we were Paul Revere, we would be warning America instead of like rewarding us, they'd shoot us from the horse. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, you know what? They would take, they would repossess the horse from us. Okay. Let's just be yeah, real. They would take, okay? the, they would take the horse the from horse. us and then shoot us. But you, know, yeah, exactly. you wrote a book on, you wrote a book on this. And you, this book came out last year. I recommend everyone read it. And I want to give you a, a, a quote. Well, specifically, I want to give you a data point just from this month. All right. Check this out. Mm-hmm. 61% of Republicans polled by Politico said, they are comfortable with the United States being called a Christian nation. Now, what does a Christian nation look like to them? Can you just map it out for our listeners? If they get the power, what will this country become? Let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like mostly, it looks like mostly like what the Trump administration looked like. It's a lot of white people, uh, a lot of white men, a few white women, 
you know, chosen ones, um, handpick people in positions of power, whether that is in from your um, school board to your mayors, to your um, to your local state, national governments, uh, no abortion, no same sex mm. marriage. It's also no immigration. So the borders will close. Um, you will not be able to get proper health care. They will start to strip away your Medicare and Medicaid and all the rest of the things you have. Um, they're going to be destroying the schools. Essentially, public school is not going to be a, a thing. They're going to give out vouchers or if you don't have enough money too bad, you're going to have to go to the bad school. Do you want me to continue? Uh, the roads are not mm. going to be fixed. You're not going to get FEMA to come and help you because everybody should be doing it for themselves and they're going to rely on churches to help you. Okay. What will be the other part is, is that they will have pride of place. They will be able to get the things that they need because they're going to be rich, 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 you know, and in bed with some of the megalomaniacs in Silicon Valley. Thank you very much. Peter Thiel. And then Mm -hmm. the rest of us are just going to have to find out. Oh, and did you think you had enough guns? There's never enough guns. All gun laws are going to be stripped. You're going to be in a place like Texas where you don't have to have, you know, a waiting period. You don't have to have a license. You don't have to have training. Need I go on? I mean, mm. is, th- is I mean, that what, enough to scare you? What you just laid out was um, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower yep. and Parable of the Talents yep. that I talk about all the time was written in 1993 as science fiction, Mm -hmm. but it damn sure was predicting where we are right now. And everything that you just said on top of, I just want to add in, you know, the climate change, you said FEMA ain't coming. I just want to add in the perfect storm. And what ended up happening is that folks, there was no United States. Mm -hmm. Every state was essentially its own fiefdom with its own walls. If you had the, enough money, you could pay police for some protection, but you, every community was walled off. And if you could venture out, you were essentially taking your life in your own hands. It's like there Mad was Max Fury no, Road. There was, yeah, there yeah. was no unity. There was no nothing. And so the problem with what you just laid out, Professor Butler, is this. They're not accounting for what this causes which is revolution, Well, yeah. which is war, right? And what they're banking on, in my humble opinion, but I want to ask you, that they will have enough power that the ends will justify the means. But I don't think that, I think that they are underestimating the will of the people because even during, even apartheid ended, right? You had you, but you had the world, you had people intervene. And so I just, are they, are they banking on the fact that Americans will be as docile as Herschel Walker? No. Are they, or are they, they thinking that they have be. enough gun or they have enough guns on their side? So they it won't enough, matter. They have enough guns and they have enough military and they have enough of the police. See, th- this is not about them thinking that actually, as a matter of fact, one of the things you should really realize is that in this kind of dystopian world that we see them in, they're still very fearful. 
the fear is what mm. drives all of this. I think this is one of the most yep. important things that you can understand about evangelical Christians. They're fearful. They're fearful of what they think the end time is going to be. They're fearful of black people. They're fearful of anybody coming for their stuff. They live in fear constantly. And so when mm. you have fearful people, fearful people make stupid mistakes, right? And mm. so while, while they don't expect revolution to come, they expect that they will be able to handle anything that comes. This is where they overestimate themselves, right? And so you know, whether we look at what's happening right now in Iran or what happened, you know, during apartheid or any other place where people have risen up and tried to push back against authoritarian governments, they're hoping that everybody will just go along with them because they're right. And when they don't go along with them, they will be able to just, you know, go send them to see Jesus. You know, uh, you mentioned about Mm-mm. this is a very important point you made earlier about the fact that the evangelical Christian community the way they're fused with the GOP is that the fact that they have churches and this grassroots connection that they have all across America is how they spread the right-wing message, church mm-hmm. by church by church. It's like fight clubs, but churches, right? And it was mm-hmm. specifically Ralph Reed did that in the 90s, right? The yeah. the, the Faith, uh, Faith and Freedom Coalition literally mm-hmm. set up these, these fight clubs, uh, essentially all across America using the church and the pulpit to promote the right-wing agenda and it's all incestuous and interconnected. Well, you also have black churches and you also have brown churches, right? And I'm very curious, Professor Butler, with your research, you know, we keep seeing white evangelical Christianity, but when it comes to whiteness and race, you see a a, a slight difference here or a breakout point with black churches. There might Mm -hmm. be unity around abortion. There might be some unity about family values, LGBT marriage, you know, so forth. But do we have any inroads with black and brown evangelical communities that can be used to push back against this white evangelical terror? Maybe, but here's the problem. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm dismayed about in this election cycle is that I don't see these churches being as reactive as they Mm. have been in the past. And part of that has to do with, I think, the the pandemic, obviously, because, you know, church attendance has gone off and the same kind of organizing that you had prior to the pandemic doesn't exist right now. So that's that's number one. Mm. Number two is some of these churches have relationship with some of these white, you know, evangelicals in different kinds of ways. And so they may be finding themselves hard to disentangle themselves. But we're talking about church. And I think there's something else we need to talk about here that's really important. And I want to just cite today a really good piece that was in the AP about General Flynn and the Reawaken America tour. The tendency for everyone is to think about, oh, the evangelicals are organizing in churches. But what you have to understand is from 19, from 2016 to 2020, the number of people who actually said that they were evangelicals grew. It wasn't like they just did that. And these are not churchgoers. These are people who recognize the word evangelical as a way for them to put forth two things, what they thought about Christianity and also their allegiance to the Republican Party. So Mm. when you have those two things come together and you have more people than ever call themselves evangelical, where are they? Are they in churches? They're not in churches. They're going to the Reawaken America rallies. They're going to Trump rallies. They're going to Mm. Charlie Kirk's little stuff like in Arizona and other places where he's going to churches and meeting to organize, you know, right wing people, evangelicals to vote in November. And so while you all are looking at churches, they're over here baptizing folks 
at the Reawakening America conference. And I can't stress enough for everybody to go look mm. at this piece from the AP because I think it's really interesting. It's titled Michael Flynn's Reawakened Roadshow Recruits Army of God. And these people wow. are coming to these events and they're paying money. And this is where they're finding a lot of this message. They're finding both a religious message and a political message wrapped up together. So one more example. Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, before the storm, for um, before everything happened down in Florida, who was here campaigning for Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania? Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was talking about putting on the armor of God, doing all this stuff. Mm. You need to vote for Doug Mastriano. This, these people are actually not just having political rallies, but they're having political religious rallies. And they're, they're mm. a combination of come vote for this candidate, but we need to pray these Democrats out. And so when we talk about Christian nationalism, we're not just talking about how people think America is a Christian nation. We're talking about the fusion of religion and politics together in this particular iteration of the midterms that is going to have profound effects on what will happen now and in 2024. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. You know what makes me terrified, aside from every single thing that you just said? Yeah, that that wasn't enough for you, Daniel? Um, okay. There's one more thing that makes me terrified, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you say that your enemy is infused with Satan and the devil, then you can justify... Any type of violence Mm -hmm. that you put forth, because it isn't, you're doing the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to beat the gay out of you. I'm Mm going to beat the black off of you. Mm -hmm. you, Because you said it earlier, Professor Butler, you said the stories that they tell themselves. When you tell a narrative, going back to the the time of, of slavery and the slave trade in this country, when you tell a narrative about black people not and not in their minds, not being people, mm. but black being the mark of sin, mm. then you can justify whatever it is that you do to those people because what you're trying to prevent is the spread of sin and the devil 
coming into your home and coming into your community. So this rhetoric that they have that spawned out of QAnon really didn't spawn out of QAnon. They're picking up on what they were using, how the Bible was used as a tool to justify enslaving human beings and the brutalization and the torture because I'm trying to align them with the Lord. And sometimes that comes with force. It's why in the midst of slave encampments and the the colonized nations, they had churches. Mm. They had churches in the middle. Right. And so, you know, if, if that is the if if that is the mindset, professor. How is there a way to fight back against that? Because Basically, where we are marching towards is when Marjorie Taylor Greene stands up in a rally and says, Democrats want to kill us because they are evil. Where you go from there? Because statistics, facts and bullet points ain't going to fucking work. Not that was when late September, the ladies and gentlemen, of the that United was late States, that- the devil. That was yeah. just recently. Late let, me, September. Let, me, let me be very clear. You were going to see some more stuff. One six mm. was not it was not an anomaly. It's it's not a, it's not a one off. Let's put it like that. Let me just make it real clear. It's not a one off. It's coming mm. again. How it comes, I don't know. But we've had these times in American history where we've had people, you know, go off the deep end who have been religious. You know, I think about the Bundys or you know Waco, which was problematic in and of itself for a lot of different reasons. I think that what we're going to see is a way in which, you know, there is going to be something that gets triggered, that because of this kind of talk, something is going to spill over to the edge. We're already seeing it. I mean, the guy who came to the pizza parlor in D.C. for Pizzagate, you know, we already have right. QAnon people. There's a whole Reddit about people who have gone absolutely batshit because of QAnon and killing their families and shooting people and stuff because they're into conspiracy theories. We're not talking about people who are holding on to reality. Their reality is split Mm. between, you know, this temporality and what they consider to be a spiritual battle. And so when we're talking about spiritual warfare and all of that stuff, what you think is in happening out here in the unseen realm is also happening to them in real life, in real time. And so I, what I'm fearful about is people who are going to take what they think is happening out here and bring it down here to, you know, real deal, you know, messing with people and, you know, thinking about how they want to get candidates. I mean, we could see it all over the one six insurrection. So I think, you know, if you really want my blunt assessment of this at the end, I think that the media is ignoring what is very much seditious kind of talk, you know, maybe not sedition towards the nation, but definitely violent, you know, violent rhetoric from politicians and others. Um, you know, I hope Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't win. But here on the other hand, you know, we already have over 200 candidates who say they will not recognize the end of the re- election because they haven't even recognized that Biden won. They still think that Trump won. They think that that was a lie in 2020. So I think people should be girding themselves up and getting ready for a lot of really crazy stuff in November. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I'm, I would be happy to come back and say, I was wrong. Everything went okay. But I think the only defense <laughs> against this is to say, this is a democracy and we're going to fight for democracy. And democracy is what this nation was founded on. 
and that's who we are. And those white men that you all keep referring to, the founders and the framers, did not want what you want. We Mm. don't have a king. We don't have a queen. We have three branches of government, and they are supposed to be equal. They are supposed to be balanced. And right now, the balance is going towards crazy. You know, I don't think I you're know, wrong. That's right. A majority of Republicans who have uh, won their races are promoting the big lie. The QAnon mm-hmm. conspiracy that you mentioned is now mainstream. It's a uh, domestic terror threat, according to the FBI, and has been yeah. now celebrated openly by Donald Trump, who, again, is the presumptive nominee for Republicans in the 2024 presidency, which has radicalized people to commit violence. And this is all happening uh, right now, right before the midterm election. But I do believe, and I think on this show, we try to make the case for building what we call a multicultural coalition to fight Mm -hmm. back, to protect our democracy. And I believe, and you might disagree with me on this, Professor Butler, but I wanted to ask you our final question, is I believe faith communities and or people who do believe in religion are part of this coalition. And I can speak as a member of Muslim communities in this country, Mm -hmm. many of them who vote Democrat, I see how some of them get swayed by the right-wing messaging, especially on culture war, family values, faith, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ. And when you mentioned Democrats failing when it comes to messaging, I think they also fail when it comes to even reaching out to to voters that they can win over in black and brown religious communities. So the final question I have for you is, if you were in charge of democratic outreach and messaging to win over or to attract some of these voters, whether it's through fear, inspiration, hope, selfishness, whatever it is, what would you tell them to convince them to vote for Democrats against this threat of Christian nationalism, which I think we all agree is a fascist threat breathing down our neck? Yeah, I I think I would say a couple of things. One, I would say, if you have children, you want to leave something for your children. You either came to this country or you were born here and your parents or your grandparents came here, however they came because they were in hopes of something different happening, right? You know, for mm. those of us who are African-American, whose you know, relatives were enslaved, we have to understand that they built this nation. Everybody had a part of building this. And so we can't let people who believe that they should take everything that your parents and your people and we have worked for and use that in the service of creating a theocracy that was not meant in the first place. That's number one. Number two, I would say you might have to get over yourselves and join a dance together with people that you don't think are right scripturally or in, in your belief system. You need to join hands with people who don't believe in any kind of God whatsoever because you need them and they need you. Right now, this is all hands on deck. We don't have time to be fighting about what you think or what you don't think or whether you're right or you're wrong or you're indifferent. There's that. The third Amen. thing is, is is that, you know, essentially, I think anybody, whether you believe in something or not, can see that this nation is falling apart. We have had, you know, however many million people have died of COVID. We have more homeless people in the street than ever. We have this big disparity between the rich and the poor. And somehow basic human rights and basic human needs about shelter, food, education, gainful employment should be things that we could all come together on because those are things that help create balance in in a nation. And right now we don't have all of that. And right now this is very imbalanced. And there are a group of people 
who believe that they are the only moral arbiters. Morality doesn't also have to be connected with religion. And I think this is really important to, uh, for people to understand is that these people have told you about morality, but they're immoral. They're not moral. And so, and they're willing to be like sacrifice whatever they think about morality in the service of gaining power. And so we have to think about how our communities are going to, you know, are going to be run, how our children are going to live, how we could leave something for the next generation, because right now is looking pretty bleak. Professor Anthea Butler, thank you so much for making the time for Democracy Ish. Um, that is it for us here on Democracy Ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajat Lee. And be sure to pick up Professor Butler's book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. We'll see you next week, folks. If-